All right. Welcome to Film Shake, the 90s movies podcast. I'm Jordan. And this is Nick. And today we are talking about episode 39, 1996's Barbed Wire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jordan... That's Jordan what that's what been, you're ready to talk about, right, Nick? Jordan has try, been trying to hijack this episode to be about barbed wire. This entire what are you talking about? this it, entire month, this entire month. It is it is about barbed wire. <laughs> we are going to do a barbed wire episode eventually. I feel like Jordan's got way too much history tied in there to where that would be the biggest missed opportunity ever. But we're actually covering 1991 Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. That's right, our first Star Trek film. It was a patron request by Jonathan Rocker. Super excited. But before we even get to that, Jordan lost a trivia. And I have to apologize just a small amount. I assigned him 1996's Skyscraper, thinking it would be a lot of fun. Because the version that I saw of this was an edit that cut out all of the softcore pornography scenes. This is a 1996 yes. film starring Anna Nicole Smith, directed by Raymond Martino, written by William Applegate Jr. and John Larrabee. Jordan, what Just did you think paragons about this film? of the industry right there. That's paragons. Right. That's right. But uh, yes, you assigned me Skyscraper. was watching this at work, you know, just kind of knock out this punishment, get it over with. And I'm watching... You know, basically the plot of this is like a, a female diehard where Anna Nicole Smith plays a helicopter pilot. She's a heliscort. She escorts, you know, fancy businessmen from one rooftop to another in Los Angeles. And she gets stuck in this skyscraper with these terrorists where they're trying to like obtain different computer chips to take over a satellite or something i'm not sure they never really explain or go into that because all the villains just die by the end of the movie before they can concoct their plan or have anything to do with that but in the middle of this film she's apparently married to a police officer she goes home and they have like a softcore porno scene in the middle of this movie i'm watching it in the break room at work like whoa i did not see this coming but i guess i should have because this is anna big boobs nicole smith and man you last time you talked about how you know i said this was a two out of i think it was like a 2.9 out of 10 on imdb and you're like i don't think you're gonna feel that it's it's fun it's kind of wacky and goofy and I'm sorry to say, I felt every 2.9 of that score. Like, I usually give a movie a score out of 5. I'll go to 10 just to give this movie a 2 out of 10. Just because just I just, yeah, I, I did. I, I really disliked it. I really did not have fun with this. Other than just kind of laughing at how terrible it is at times. But, man, for Anna Nicole Smith, like you said, you had a, a soft spot for her. I don't know if you meant to say hard spot, but uh, I did not wah, have a soft wah. or yeah, soft or hard spot for this lady because you know I don't know if there's an appeal there. I know you like big butts and you cannot lie, but I don't know, man. She's for one, you you'd reference this, but she is the worst actress. I don't know if I've seen somebody as bad as Anna Nicole Smith in a long time, but just her delivery with her southern accent. 
And it just feels like they're pulling every word out of her. Like, just come on, Anna. Just say the lines, Anna. Just just one more take, Anna. Like, I don't know. Like, on level with Marilyn Monroe having to do, like, 50 takes to say... I forgot what the line was and some like it hot. But apparently they, they had to shoot her, like, you know, a million takes just to say one line. Feels like that level of bad here where, man... Uh, it's just it's just god awful on top of that like she's supposed to be the sexy porn star you know action star porn slash action star (laughs) apparently in this movie but she's wearing the frumpiest helicopter pilot like jacket and pants i don't know if i've seen like a worse looking person who's supposed to be good looking on screen because the clothes they pick for her are so frumpy and baggy and like just cheap and terrible on her i'm like man y'all could have really given her a better wardrobe i don't know if her just her boobs were so big that they needed to find like a giant jacket to put on her to make it look like she's a helicopter pilot but all that to get to the end where the terrorists are basically just hijacking the skyscraper so they can get these computer chips and the police show up outside at the end you know hostage situation so they decide to pull yet again another moment from Die Hard where they pretend to be the People's Liberation Front where you know they're just pretending like this is all some sort of cause and they're going to start killing people you know because they stand for America and democracy or something or just like isn't this just like another beat from Die Hard come on guys like we're already in a skyscraper of people crawling around in vent fans and apparently somehow a very sexy smart helicopter pilot who can quote henry the fourth but can barely say her own lines and just wants to have a baby i'm just like what what kind of character is, is she supposed to be she was also incredible with a gun and can like you know uh, sling off of the side of the building and like crash through windows and all this stuff on her own like does does all these incredible feats and like takes out all these bad guys yet just just doesn't even try to not sound dumb I don't know if she can try but it's just it's just like man she just sounds so dumb through this whole thing and there's just so many dumb moments like dumb action that just falls flat like the french guy after he kills so many people he says au revoir probably like 20 times in this movie where he shoots like a police officer au revoir and then he shoots like another security officer au revoir like come on man how cliche villain can you wait a minute though jordan you (laughs) might dis au revoir but how about when he shoots the one guy and the guy flies off the building from the bullet impact and then he says a ciao a bella (laughs) oh was that the uh are you talking about the the main villain the the black south african guy oh yeah i'm sorry yeah the south african guy (laughs) Yeah. Oh, he's even worse. He's quoting Shakespeare the whole time, and he's just so over the top. It's ridiculous. Like, at the very end, where it's Anna Nicole Smith about to take him out, and then her hubby shows up and is trying to save her. And so the bad guy, you know, he pulls out his gun, and he quotes uh, from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Like, there's never been a tale of so much woe. This Juliet and Romeo. Oh, 
and he pulls out the gun to shoot the cop and then and Nicole Smith has to like roundhouse kick him ten times. And they're in the middle of the roof and somehow he still falls off the roof. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. I'm telling you, the sides of buildings they're just like magnets. It's the wind shear, man. They're just trying to teach you something about physics here. You, you weren't open to learning. It must be. They were they were so high up that the wind was just howling and ended up taking him off the side of the roof as he was kicked by Anna Nicole Smith's mighty legs of fury. This whole film, even the very casting of Anna Nicole Smith was to teach viewers about physics. Oh, yes, because I don't understand the physics of her body, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> like the, just to get into Anna Nicole Smith, you had to go into one of your patented ASMR ice crunching sessions, which... That's right. Just for our patrons, you know, just a little... Side note for you guys, y- y'all know well, I'm I'm shirtless right now, drinking ice. Drinking ice, that's that's how I do it. I drink ice. I don't just drink water. I drink the ice, too. But I crunch it so you can hear those sweet ASMR sounds. Yeah, for everyone right. who doesn't support us yet on Patreon, that's what you got to look forward to right there. <laughs> that's right. That's what you get when you pay money <laughs> to us. You get shirtless Jordan drinking ice. I need to come up with some ASMR sounds for myself. Like maybe, maybe like I've got some nerds right here and I could, uh, uh <laughs> I thought you weren't a fan of the ASMR though. I'm not, I don't get it. Like the sound of people eating is infuriating, but maybe that's what right. people want. Maybe that's what knock no. us into the upper no. tier. You know, we've been doing that's pretty right. well, but you can always do better. And maybe that's what it's going to take. Hey man. I'm sorry that you didn't appreciate this. You don't have the appreciation for Anna Nicole Smith that I do. No, I don't understand it, man. Can you can you explain to me your appreciation of her? Like, and I don't get the attraction to her either. Like, she just seems really trashy. I don't get how like certain guys, I guess. I mean, it feels like a very '90s thing, right? We talked about with Tales from the Crypt, like the big boobed, beautiful blonde. Like, she's the extreme of that, right? So she definitely doesn't belong in our world now, but she definitely feels much of of a part of 1996, especially this low budget, like semi porno action thriller. (laughs) She definitely fits this world. I'll give you that. But I just I just don't understand the appeal. Jordan, I think I I can explain to you that the great divide between the two of us here. And that's simply that Jordan, I grew up in a really rural area where we all were pretty trashy, right? I mean, <laughs> and I I felt like I knew Anna Nicole Smith. A, like, I, I get what you're saying, but I mean, early, Maybe on, did. early on in her career, you know, obviously me going through the puberty, you know, oh, Anna Nicole Smith was so fine, right? But then, like, right. it just got sad, and she just started reminding me with all her bad life decisions, and then just looking at her background and realizing kind of like the broken home like i gotta get out of this town background that she's coming from where i think she got married when she was 19 or 20 and had a kid and then got divorced and then you know she married that really 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 old guy and Mm -hmm. it just made me like really sad and i just felt like a lot of empathy for her so that's your soft spot yeah that's that's why made a lot of boner jokes at at her expense over the last episode and a half but the, the fact of the matter is like yeah just uh I felt bad for her. I, I still feel bad for her. Like looking at how her son died at 20 and then she died a few months mm. later. And like when he died, yeah. she, she was trying to like get them to bury her alive in the casket with her son because she was grieving so hard. 
I don't know, something about her, it's just always been very tragic to me not to bring this episode down after I was just crunching nerds <laughs> into the microphone and we're talking about 1996's <laughs> freaking Skyscraper, which is just yeah. a softcore diehard ripoff on like a $50 budget. But uh, yeah, I don't know, I just <laughs> always much. feel bad for her. And I feel bad too that she really, I think she really wanted to be an actress. I think she wanted to try to leave the more exploitative stuff behind and I think she probably wanted to stop having to take off her shirt all the time or having her shirt be ripped off in the movie she was in. But, you know, poor thing. She just she can't act at all. I mean, you and you and I no. right now, we could just find five or six people off the street out of like seven or eight that we talked to. And they would right. be better actors than she was, unfortunately. But that 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 it is what it is. I didn't mean to make this yeah. movie not fun. I actually think this movie is a lot of fun. At least the TV edit I watched that that left out the random Harlequin romance scenes where literally she's like getting shot at and running for her life. And then she finds cover and then is like, I miss my husband. (laughs) Right. It breaks off into a flashback of them having picnic sex. So, yeah, having uh, having a softcore porn sex scene by a barn like a, a day that she remembers fondly while she's under threat of death from terrorists so you know this is after he shows her how to fire a gun and she's really good at it that was the best part of the flashback right it's like well the right. purpose of this flashback is a to show you how she became such a crack shot but b also to show you Anna Nicole Smith naked engaging in simulated sex so right they they could have just stopped there at her oh okay this that's why she knows how to fire a gun and she can take out these bad guys but and while we're here we might as well get her naked (laughs) but yeah tragic tragic life tragic story but that doesn't excuse how terrible this movie is (laughs) well i had forgotten completely about this too and our buddy jason kleberg who does force five i mentioned before a show that we've been on he was uh he was posting a lot about this movie and he posted the scene and you had to have enjoyed this where, you know, she wants to have a baby and her husband's a cop and he's like, it's too rough out there. I can't bring a child into this world. And gosh, I hate that. I can't remember the exact line, but she's like, excuse me for believing in little puppies and babies or something. Well, excuse me for still believing in Sunday walks in the park and little babies. (laughs) Does she say puppies and babies? At the very end, so there's a kid in the skyscraper, and his mom seemingly dies and gets shot because they think she's Anna Nicole Smith. She has blonde hair, hair and is wearing like a green jacket. And so she saves the kid at the very end, and the, they're hanging out outside an ambulance with like the chief of police. And he's like, Hey, your mom's in there. She's going to be all right. And look, I got you a puppy. <laughs> I was like, What the hell? <laughs> Where did the puppy come from? And then they all just climb in the ambulance and drive off. And I love like, that they all just get in the movie? ambulance together. And then the ambulance backs up. It like I don't know. It's just the most awkward ending shot too. It's just like all right, let's let's watch for ten seconds while the ambulance backs up and then pulls away. And then it's credits. And it's like the camera kind of pulls up like on a crane, kind of like they do at the very end of Die Hard. But it was like. They didn't have the same budget because it's like a $50 crane and it can only really go up like 20 feet instead of like 100 feet like you would get in like a diehard closing shot. So it's just like 
know, it's just the epitome of like how bad this movie is. <laughs> that very last shot just filled with so much terribleness. I don't know. <laughs> the puppy and the mom like reappearing alive and then the crane shot just like not really going high enough and then them having to back out the ambulance. I was just like, oh man, this is this movie in a nutshell. And the mom got shot like 600 times too. Like she was very clearly <laughs> yes. dead and not receiving any medical care as she lied on the floor for hours upon hours upon right. hours. And her body disappeared They were just like, too, right? oh, it would be too sad to have this boy an orphan now. His mom needs to be alive. So we'll make that happen. <laughs> so in conclusion, what you're saying is this is not quite as good as Die Hard. Uh, that would be right to say that. <laughs> it's it's not not good as Die Hard, but I mean it's it's got its perks, you know? It's it's got the puppy and it's got the the South African guy quoting Shakespeare, which is cheesy and terrible and funny all at the same time i'm gonna score it slightly higher than you did this gets a whopping three out of ten for me i laughed a lot i laughed a whole lot i'm not gonna lie i laughed for most of this movie's 90 minutes and that is not something that always happens in movies where you're supposed to laugh for 90 minutes so i applaud it for that it might be a fun double bill with die hard in a way <laughs> To compare the two i mean and yeah you've got the the female representation but in a totally backwards way because it's totally exploitative of you know like you said a random softcore porn scene so not doing anything for the for the female uh, persuasion there so i don't know man i will say they do show the dude naked too i mean you don't get like dong or anything but i mean his butt is <laughs> there's a sex scene where his butt is like up front and center for at least five full minutes <laughs> he's running around with his shirt half off you know most of the time sweating and his curly hair glistening so maybe that was something for the ladies <laughs> no christian slater am i right i tell you what there's no christian slater like there is in star trek 6 the undiscovered country how our segue to star trek is christian slater because if you look at my notes about star trek as we get in this movie it's all christian slater come on thank you thank you rob kerr thank you my friend i feel like he was throwing you a bone or maybe two bones here a because christian slater is indeed in this movie his mother was Mary Jo Slater, I believe, was a casting director, and she got her huge Trekkie son into this movie for about 30 good seconds, where he has, like, three lines. The three best lines. <laughs> three best the lines. best 30 seconds of this movie. Let me tell you what. I'm watching this movie, Nick. Let me tell you my experience here. I'm watching this movie, and maybe we can go back and set it up and tell people what this movie's actually about. Maybe not. Maybe we were just talking about Christian Slater the whole time. I'm fine with that. But I'm watching this movie, and um, I have to say I'm not the biggest Trekkie. I, I have not familiarized myself a whole lot with the original series. I mean, I've seen some of it, and it's just never really been my thing. I've always, you know, you always feel like you got to choose one or the other, right? Star Wars or Star Trek. And I know you're in both camps. I know you love both. But I just, it's just never grabbed me. 
I can't say I've taken the time to go back and try and appreciate a lot of the films or a lot of the series. I just, just never grabbed me and never gone there. And, uh, I don't know if I will, but I'm watching this movie and I'm kind of bored. I'm not really into it. I'm not, not feeling the Star Trek, but then damn it. Christian Slater appears. Well, let me say a silhouette appears in a doorway talking to Captain Sulu. And I hear a voice and I'm like, huh? What's that? And then as if as if it's for me, there's a reveal where Sulu turns on the light and who do we get? But it's Christian Slater as this communications officer delivering a message to Captain Sulu. And I'm like, it's freaking the Slater. And from that point on, it's like the movie got better and it got more interesting and like cool stuff started to happen. I was like, it was all because of the Slater, man. It was all because of the Slater. Because that 30 seconds, gold. Best part of the movie. I'm just throw it out there right now as if I'm not biased at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also threw you a bone because this is a, a really good Star Trek movie, in my opinion, Of and it stands alone probably better than some of the other films and this is the only film with the entire original crew in the 90s because after this we go to generations jordan eventually we're going to cover all the star trek movies on no from the 90s. no <laughs> don't do it even if it just means that it takes jonathan rocker requesting all of them you're going to be flying time. solo <laughs> well yes i'm actually a big trekkie in a certain context so when I was a kid, my mom introduced me to the original series, and then I watched all of The Next Generation pretty much live. Again, my mom is my Star Trek gateway, so I watched that with her from the time that I was a child to my early teenage years. I watched all of that. I watched all of the original series, and then Deep Space Nine came on, and that's what I think is the best Star Trek. That's an amazing show. Uh, one of the best sci-fi shows of the 90s or period that ran from 93 to 99 and i've seen all the films i love star trek man uh i know it's not yeah. cool to like star trek it, it <laughs> it's very rarely been cool to like star trek this may alienate some of our listeners but hey we if you can't tell by our banter we're gonna keep being wacky here we already crunched ice and ate nerds and talked about Anna Nicole Smith for quite a while so I don't think That's that right. that tone's not gonna change just because we're talking about Star Trek right because I'm worried we have this uh this episode put up and people check out different episodes because they're into different films right they might not know the show but they just watch tremors so they go and listen to the tremors episode maybe they're a big trekkie fan they see this episode pop up and they're like oh let me check this out <laughs> and we're yeah we're crunching ice and talking about nerds and being <laughs> stupid and I, i'm not a big trekkie fan so i apologize to any of the trekkies checking this out who are like who the hell is this guy? Like, <laughs> he, he's talking about Christian Slater, the cameo for 30 seconds. What are they talking about? Like, give me Shatner. Give me Leonard Nimoy. Let's let's get into it. All right. I feel like we've done enough backpedaling here. Let's get into it. Well, before I even get into the plot, Jordan, I hope it sells you enough on Star Trek that the Slater himself is a Trekkie. That's right. For whatever it's worth. For whatever it's worth, yeah, that, that might be my way in, right? He was kind of my way in to this movie, and I know a lot of people appreciate Deep Space Nine, and I've seen some episodes there that were pretty thought-provoking. So My trekkiness 
it has a limit. After Deep Space Nine, I was unable to get into really any other show that Star Trek has done. Granted, I, I think there's probably a pretty big collective opinion that after Deep Space Nine, none of the shows are quite on the level of that or the previous two shows. And, you know, the movie reboots, we've, we've gotten three of them. I think they're all right. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I like the new reboots all right. I mean, they're fun. It doesn't seem like they're very Star Trek-y, though. Like, it's just like a fun kind of almost Star Warsian action. And then J.J. Abrams, who made the first two of the Star Trek movies, went on to do Star Wars. And now that we know what J.J. Star Wars is, I don't know. That almost recontextualizes the Star Trek movies, too, to maybe make them less fun. I, th- I think that, that has happened a little bit for me. But, hey, let's oh, really? Pop- I think yeah, so. let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about Star Trek Six. Let's talk about barbed wire. Oh, oh. <laughs> Star Trek Six. This was the last Star Trek movie for quite a while that I didn't see in the theater. I saw just about all the rest of them in the theater after this one. But this one, it it came out of theaters in '91, and then I saw it the next summer at '92 at Grand Isle Jordan. I rented it from Ooh. video store, and my entire family watched it together. And I the video it. store named Video Store. That's right, my the best <laughs> video true. store that ever existed until Hurricane Katrina, as well as digital streaming, destroyed it. So I hate both of those things. Not streaming's <laughs> all right, I guess, because I watched this movie. I have it on DVD, but I ended up having to watch it streaming. It was a combined force. They joined forces, right? Katrina and digital streaming just got together. They they both killed got... that video store. <laughs> yeah, bastards. They both have that same vowel sound. Anyway. Yeah. So this Star Trek movie, I mean, there have been a few movies we've covered, uh, mostly the requests where I've actually watched them a good amount of times. This one, I go back and forth on. I loved it the first time. I found it to be a little dry on subsequent viewings, but then it started picking up again. And I think the movie before the Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, a lot of people hate that one. But for whatever reason, that one just hits a lot of my Star Trek buttons. It's just like an extended high-budget version of like an episode of the original series and it gets in all these emotional beats and it has my favorite Star Trek scene ever with Kirk's I need my pain scene, which is amazing. Watch that on YouTube. William Shatner is a great actor, even if his diction is sometimes funny, but you know, (laughs) all that to say, so this one, Star Trek six, it's an allegory about the Soviet union and America. It starts off where the Cleons, who are this race that humans are battling against and have been battling against and at war against, but not like full-out war. It's just like hostility. It's, maybe we'll call it a Cold War. Ooh. But the Cleons, just like with the Soviet Union and Chernobyl, Chernobyl, Chernobyl. Chernobyl. <laughs> that should have been easy to pronounce. Man. Was that Car- uh uh, what's his name from South Park? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna Carmen. say it. I'm gonna say every Star Trek word like Cartman from here now. Shinebe. So there's the there's a planet called Praxis that houses uh, their energy facilities and it explodes because just like oh. Chernobyl, they're not taking the right kind of care with it and it blows up and the Cleons suddenly find that they're not going to be able to sustain themselves and. There's going to have to be peace. But here's the deal, let's, Jordan, and here's something well, that... Wait, let's talk about that explosion real quick, Nick. Okay, yes, because the film does start with an explosion. I even wrote a note for you there, Jordan, that said, how do you like that explosion, brah? <laughs> that, I Star liked Trek, it a lot, brah. Bra. 
yeah, start starting it off right. I mean, it got a little dry after that, but you know, at least before it, it was actually right as the credits ended, and the you know the music kind of dies down, and then boom, you know, this moon explodes, or was it a moon? Praxis, whatever it is, explodes, and yeah, it was a pretty wicked explosion, I have to say. It was, that was good stuff up top there. So I'll give them that. I'll give them that. Yeah, and that's after the opening credit scene where you get this really dark Cliff Eidelman score that isn't like any other Star Trek movie score. It's very dark, and it, it doesn't have like that heavy adventure fun tone, but it's really good. And also, the opening titles, did you like how the text was kind of purple, like Cleon Blood, Jordan? Did you dig that? Oh, we can we can talk about the, the, the Klingon blood in here, man. We have an attempt at peace between the Cleons and, and the Federation, the Galactic Federation. And you know who hates the Cleons the most is Captain Kirk Jordan. And, you know, I, I forgot because I hadn't watched this in a while. Do they explain a little bit why he hates the Cleons so much? Because you know, Jordan, they killed his boy. That's right. Jordan hasn't watched the search for Spock Star Trek 3 where Kirk's son gets murdered by Cleons. Which just they drives his hatred. He already he already did not like the Cleon. Boy. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but they, they send out old Captain Kirk because, man, I tell you what, this crew of the Enterprise isn't getting any younger. They're about to retire. The ship's about, really the whole crew is about to retire, not the ship. There's going to be a new crew and they're all going to get put out to pasture. This is kind of like one last mission. Yeah, they're, they're all pretty old, man. They're all looking like they're about to fall apart. And, um... <laughs> Yeah, the makeup is pretty caked on, too. It's pretty atrocious. Oh, that's mean, Jordan. That. Yeah, well, I mean, it's necessary. I had to make a joke with my wife, who I feel like in a parallel universe, if she had grown up in a different household, would be really into Star Trek, too, but she didn't, and she's not. But I did have to show her the, the soundtrack case for this movie, which obviously I bought. The score's awesome, and I buy all the scores, even if they suck, for our movies. And yeah. the crew is posing on the back of it together. It's like a group shot. Uh, and they was like, they look how cool they look. Aren't they cool? <laughs> Aren't they cool in their Starfleet uniforms? <laughs> and what did she say? She said, sure, babe. Sure, babe. They look really <laughs> old. <laughs> uh, and even as I get older, they, they still look old. And then I, and I saw that it, it was nominated for an Academy Award, too, like for some of the makeup and the prosthetics and stuff, which at times they looked really good, but then... At other times, I was just like, man, that looks cheap and cheesy. Oh, I mean, we've got to get into Christopher Plummer as General Chang, which he didn't have as much makeup on him, but, you know, some of the other Klingons and, and stuff uh, kind of reminded me of the the terrible makeup in Buffy, the TV show that you love so Jordan, much. Jordan, are, are you vampires. trying to make me send a letter to your house? Because I'm already packaging it as we speak. How dare you say that? Uh, a letterbox to like the the movie yeah, sure, review website. Yeah, sure. A letterbox. That's right. You can like That's send right. that to my house. Ticking, my wife likes to call it lettuce box. box. Nice, nice. <laughs> is there like a deeper reason for that, or just because lettuce and letter are uh, are similar? I uh, I think she just heard me say it one time and was like lettuce box. What is that? I was like, oh no no no, letterbox. Kind of want a salad now. It's like a I movie thing. Salad. Yeah. What it, what are we doing? <laughs> I think we're trying to talk yeah, about so, this movie, which I obviously yeah, don't want to talk. You're trying to get out of this, but you do. You're going to take this Star Trek yes, right now, yes. Jordan. This is like my Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> this is your like where you don't want to talk about the movie. This is this is my version. Well, I now. won't go on long, Jordan. Let's let's talk about the plot. So Chancellor Gorkin, he's okay. the Chancellor of the 
Chancellor of the Cleons. He wants peace, and he comes to meet Kirk and his crew with his crew, and yes, General Chang, played by Christopher Plummer, who requested, hey, I, I don't want to wear so much Cleon makeup. I'd rather wear the least amount of Cleon makeup as possible and give me a, a badass metal eye patch. So they, they meet up. They get together. It's not the best meeting. There's lots of Shakespeare quotes from old boy Christopher Plummer, who had, he says that you should hear the Shakespeare in the original Cleon, which I thought was funny. Did you think that was funny, Jordan? Oh, the, the Hamlet, to be or not to be, yeah. Which just made me realize maybe that's why you had me watch Skyscraper. There's a deeper connection there with the Shakespeare quotes. I'm and so glad that you noticed that. <laughs> somehow that just makes this movie worse. Like it's on the par of Skyscraper. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> I do have to admit Christopher Palmer as General Chang is really fun. He's just like really over the top. He's like this kind of goofy villain. And you know who he kind of reminds me of? Who? Captain Dog. Yes. From our, from our beloved... <laughs> Cutthroat Island. Cutthroat Island. That's right. <laughs> so he kind of has that same energy going for him as Captain Dog, played by Frank Langella. Now, he is slightly more restrained from yeah. Ben Langella, but it, it's a similar energy for sure. He doesn't crush a spider in his hand and red blood Drip. gushes from the spider right. through his fingers. I only wish that that would happen in this movie. <laughs> I just was begging for that. Oh, I thought maybe on. that might happen in the trial scene where he gets really animated and he's accusing Kirk like, did you say this or not? I've got a tarantula in my hand. I'm just you're waiting just, to squish You're it. just barely skipping ahead. We're almost to oh, the just, trial, Jordan. So the, okay, okay. the meeting doesn't go great. Everyone goes back to their ships. Everyone's drunk on Romulan ale, which the Enterprise happen to have aboard that it's illegal, but not if you're way out in space, away from Starfleet. So anyway, it seems like eh, this, this, piece, this piece is going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but we're all going to go to bed now. And then what happens? But all of a sudden, the Enterprise fires or seems to fire on the Cleon ship. And then two people in spacesuits with gravity boots go into the Cleon ship and start shooting everyone. The gravity's off because the ship's been blown to bits and people are floating around getting shot. Cleons have bubbles of purple blood. Bubbles around. of CGI purple blood just floating everywhere. It's it's pretty goofy. Now, Jordan, I want to tell you, in the summer of 1992, that blood looked amazing. <laughs> the computer graphics for that scene were mind-blowing back then. Oh, my gosh. How did they make that blood float? It looks so amazing. And it's purple. Kind of brings you into the whole Klingon universe. You know, the, the difference between man and Klingon. I'm just nerding out here. <laughs> well, it doesn't look as good now. I do wish that, especially when the gravity gets turned back on and all the blood splats on the floor, which was it, it's kind of a cool moment, but by the same token, it really looks like purple paint because they didn't really do like any <laughs> color different, differentiation, you know, with the purple. Which I'm pretty sure it was just purple paint. <laughs> like they just threw purple paint on the dead body that it splatters on. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Joe, your job is just to dump that bucket of purple paint on that guy. And this is like gravity going off. <laughs> do it all right three two one go splat, splat. and chancellor gorkin i again i, I i'm a trekkie i love uh, i love bones i love dr mccoy he's i yeah. think that deforest kelly is a really good actor and he tries to bring chancellor gorkin back from the brink of death and he just can't i tried to save him man 
Bones has to say, I don't even know his anatomy. And he tries to do what he yeah. would do for himself, and it, it doesn't help. I thought right. that there was some commentary there. And then Chancellor Gorkin dies, and what does he tell Captain Kirk? But don't let it end with this. That was a nice moment. I can, I can, I can dig that, you know. And again, just kind of commenting on the divide between their cultures and their differences. Like he doesn't even know how their anatomy works, you know, because there's just been such a disconnect there. So yeah. I can dig it. Yes, yeah, great acting there by David Warner as Chancellor Gorkin. Through all that Cleon makeup, you know, he was in Star Trek V as a human. And he was great in that, too. And he, he was in Titanic, Jordan. He was also in Titanic. I don't know if you recognize him. Who was he him. in Titanic? Billy Zane's little bodyguard buddy. The old grumpy oh, guy that yeah. that didn't trust Leo. That was chasing Leo. Yeah. Yeah, shooting at him. Now. Trying to shoot yeah. him as the boat is sinking. He was a maniac right. in that. But, hey, he's a really warm presence, I feel like, in both Star Trek movies he's in. But not anymore in this one because he's dead. What if the Klingons were on the Titanic? You just got my mind going. What if they sunk the Titanic? They sank the Titanic. Yeah, you can't check for all that purple DNA now. It's been at the bottom of the ocean so long. But hey, Captain Kirk and Bones, they get blamed for the assassination, even though they're clearly trying to save Chancellor Gorkin. The Cleons blame them. They're basically, I can't think of the word, what do you say? They're the scapegoat. They're the scapegoat, Jordan. And they get sent to a Cleon trial, and it's just a show trial, and I know you want to talk about this trial, Jordan, so you go ahead. Well, I just love how animated Christopher Plummer gets there, and he's got the, the goofy little silver mustache and he's got an eye patch with three bolts on it and his just whole get up is like space garbagey but <laughs> i love you know again the energy he brings to it he doesn't squish the tarantula but he's he's almost there he he gets quite close so and i love the the judge at the very top of this kind of cylindrical cavern, like dark cavern they're in. He's at the very top, and it looks like he's got like this claw and this ball that he's using as a gobble, and he's just wicked old, all like pockmarked and crazy beard and just pale and like this nutso-looking, you know, sci-fi Klingon. But uh, yeah, I dig that scene. They do do an interesting thing with the language translators there where Kirk and Bones are holding up translator devices to their ears. And at first we start in Klingon, I believe, where Chang and all the Klingons are talking in the Klingon language. But then, like, as they use the translators, then they start speaking in English. But, it you know, it helps kind of, like, keep you in that the reality of the moment there in this place where they're kind of like the fish out of water and they're like you said just kind of strung up here for this show trial you know it's not going to end well for him but chang is just a madman and he's out for blood so i dig it and he's got all this evidence to use against him which doesn't help like kirk saying he'll never trust a cling yeah who recorded that maybe we'll find out soon maybe it's a character we haven't mentioned yet but I do have to mention some casting things. And actually, we can just go right into that. So I love Michael Dorton as Colonel Worf here. He's Worf from The Next Generation's grandfather, who's the lawyer who's representing Kirk and Bones. I love that guy. And he's also in Deep Space Nine as Worf as well. He's awesome. Jordan, did you like how Red from that 70s show is the Federation president, Kurtwood Smith, yeah. in this? 
Yes, I love Kirkwood Smith. <laughs> Did you ever, during any of the scenes where there's like kind of an uprising around him in a room where he's trying to like call for peace, did you ever want Kirkwood Smith to just say, bitches, leave? <laughs> like, damn it, Ro- Eric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, I was thinking like in Robocop, you know, because he's oh, in that okay. too. He's in, uh, he's in a lot of sci fi, this guy. I'm thinking that 70s show where he's just like, damn it, Eric, go out and cut the lawn or something. Like, <laughs> Dumbass. Damn it, Kitty. Yeah, dumbass. Yeah. Yeah, he's but pretty great. He's really amiable in this. You know, He's got the same voice, but he's got all this makeup on. He's the president of the entire Galactic Federation, Jordan. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. So he was the, yeah, he was the president with the crazy eyebrows. Okay. And the crazy. He, hair i don't know i don't know yeah i did, actually i didn't recognize him until i saw that he was in the cast but i was thinking he was one of the human characters but no he he looks like uh kind of is he klingon or what is he he's just like this kind of crazy looking like hair metal guy <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's actually not a klingon jordan he's he's okay. a different race and i'm uh, gonna lose my trek points here in that i cannot remember what race of being or alien ah uh, you're not a real trekkie get out of here we, well, where's robker when you need him he's only in this one movie and i can't remember what he's supposed to be he does look like okay. a cleon but i promise you he's not i promise you he's not a cleon he's he just, the hair metal version he really looks like one now i think is the best time to introduce a character we haven't mentioned yet who's actually very integral to this film and this is kind of the connection to like people that maybe wouldn't watch Star Trek, but would watch Sex in the City, like my wife, because Kim mm-hmm. Cattrall is in this movie as Lieutenant Valeris. She's a Vulcan who's been handpicked by Spock himself to, as he says, replace, but as she says, I can never replace you, only succeed you. She yes. is on the ship with our crew, a young Kim Cattrall with this weird, I think pretty cool looking black wig and her Vulcan ears. I really dug her in this film back in the day. Shaved her sideburns for this. Designed her own haircut, apparently. Looks pretty wicked. Like she's a, an 80s goth singer or something. Look at you dropping these facts. There you go. I read the trivia. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, uh, MTV. So she's in this, and I think she actually, I mean, you wouldn't think like Kim Cattrall would be a great Star Trek presence, but I really enjoy her in this. It was supposed to be a different character from a previous film that I'm not even going to get into that uh, Kirstie Alley played, but instead... Please it, don't. That, that couldn't be repeated. Uh, we, we had to get a new character, and it's Kim Cattrall's Lieutenant Valeris, and it, it turns out that... You're so um, close to nerding out. Yeah, but yeah, keep, yeah. keep going, keep going. Okay, yes. So anyway, we'll get back to her later. No, I I will say I like I liked her character. She did a good job, and okay. uh, it was interesting to have the female Vulcan in there, and yeah, where her character goes in the end. I'm glad you approved Jordan. I I, I feel like there's no way you couldn't because you're you're a man of good taste, and that's just objective that she's pretty good in this. Anyway, we go to Rurapente, which is this icy prison planet and here's really where my issues with the movie come in this movie unfortunately kind of had its budget and not kind of it really had its budget slash after star trek 5 didn't perform that well at the box office and it kind of shows man you don't get a ton of interesting locations here the movie kind of has a great tone which I can kind of bog down just a little bit even for for a big star trek fan like myself and you don't get a cool planet intro to them going to this prison planet, man. Generally, you would get like a ship approaching the planet and maybe Kirk and Bones looking out and seeing how, how foreboding it looks and some cool special effects. Instead, we just 
jump from the trial to them already being on this icy prison planet or, or prison moon. And I, that bummed me out there. That kind of takes the space out of the movie. It's just like, just went somewhere on Earth, which they did. You know, they were in Alaska at a national park there that's really beautiful, and they just put a purple filter on the camera. But still, I, I miss that there. But all I have to say, now they're in prison with David Bowie's wife. What would you think about that, Jordan? You know what it kind of reminded me of, this icy prison planet? It was like almost like a cheap knockoff of Hoff from Empire Strikes Back, especially where like they're in the snow when they first get there, and the probe, there's like a probe that pops up out of the snow. Does that remind you of that scene from Empire Strikes Back a little bit? Always has, like, Jordan. Always yeah. has. So the special effects there just aren't, yeah, like I said, aren't quite as good. And yeah, it's just it looked like some of the sets here just look kind of look kind of dinky. But I will say, in this prison planet, it does get a little weird and does get a little like '90s, like funky and dirty and grimy here. So I, it, it gets into that where you know we've got Bones and Kirk with like terrible five o'clock shadow and wearing like the woolly mammoth jackets and looking just you know utterly trash and then yeah david bowie's wife uh with the crazy eyes and uh, at some point shatner gets to make out with her so yeah that's that's all pretty weird wacky stuff so i was kind of digging that even though it looks a little cheap yeah iman in this i, I thought she was a pretty cool cinematic presence uh bowie's wife and I hate to keep calling her that because, I mean, she she has her own career, but I, David Bowie, obviously an icon. I wish she had been in more stuff. I thought she was she was pretty good in this. She's a shapeshifter, so this isn't even her actual form. I don't think we ever find out what her true form is. Maybe it was Shatner. Maybe it was Shatner all along. <laughs> she, she eventually takes his form. But she helps Bones and Shatner to escape from this prison only to find out the whole thing is a ruse. The whole point of her helping them to escape was for them to be killed while escaping. They couldn't make it look like an accident because it would be suspicious for two people to be killed in an accident. But it's not so suspicious if two people are killed trying to escape. And we get a great scene where Shatner just decks her because he's already figured out that it's a double cross. He just out of nowhere punches her in the face, which is kind of humorous. And then she takes his form and... The best line in the yeah. entire movie, in my opinion, happens at this moment. I can't believe I kissed you. Must have been your lifelong ambition. Which is great, right? That William Shatner just wants to make out with himself, and he finds no one as beautiful as himself. Pretty uh, good, Jordan. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I dug this whole scene, this wackiness where it's Shatner versus Shatner, and they're they're fighting, and then all of a sudden the, the Klingons show up, and... There's kind of this goofy moment where they're going to reveal the whole plan to them, but then they get beamed up to the Enterprise by Spock. You know, apparently he had put like a tracking device on Shatner that allowed them to find their location and beam them up. And once they're beamed up, Shatner's all pissed off because he's like, oh, they're about to tell us the whole plan and who's behind it and everything. Couldn't wait waited two more seconds. So that was pretty fun. And yeah, Shatner fighting Shatner is, is great. <laughs> That's a very fun scene. And of course, when they get brought back and he's complaining, a very weary Scotty offers to send him back, to which Bones is very violently against. So they don't get sent back there. And the whole time that they've been on this prison planet, there's this B story where Spock is leading everyone in the Enterprise on an investigation to try to find these anti-gravity boots to try to figure out who's at the bottom of this and who really murdered all those Cleons and Chancellor Gorkin. Yep, we have a, a whole subplot of searching for dirty laundry and boots. <laughs> Fun time. <laughs> and 
as a whole, that doesn't bother me. What what does bother me, but I enjoyed whenever I watched this when I was 10, you know, all the goofy humor. It's just kind of like a lot of silly slapstick stuff, uh, especially with Chekhov thinking as a culprit and telling them to put the boots on and then looking down and they don't even have human feet, man. They got some weird alien feet. Wow. Wow. <laughs> There's another scene where they're approaching the prison planet and the Cleons are hailing them and saying, hey, what are you doing? Why are you coming here? And Uhura, who is played by Nichelle Nichols, you know, was a very, like, breakthrough character, right? As an African-American female lead, a black female lead on a sci-fi TV show in the 60s. Yeah. And supposed to be a very intelligent character. I mean, the communication officer, but she doesn't know Cleon and she's got a look in a book and it's just really silly. And it's supposed to be kind of comic relief that they're trying to speak Cleon to these Cleons and saying things all wrong. But she complained and I agree with her. The actress complained. I would have known how to speak this language if I was halfway competent at my job, which the show has shown that I am. This is really stupid, and I agree. I hate that part. Yeah, I hate that part, too. It's pretty dumb. Like, yeah, why wouldn't she know Klingon or, you know, have the computer system tell her what to say or something that was less clumsy than, like, five of them flipping through books and trying to say what they need to say? And then the Klingons have, like, this moment where they start laughing, but then they have to... Star Trek people have to laugh with them goofily, and I was just really kind of ham-fisted and cheesy. I just didn't like that part at all, so I agree with you. And they try to be like, well, if we use the computer translator, they'll know that we're faking it, but it's like, uh, again, like, or whoever would just know Cleon. That's, that's dumb. I hate that part. It's really the only part in this movie that I legitimately hate. All that to say, the investigation finds that guess who has been the nefarious person on the Enterprise the whole time. No one but Kim Cattrall herself, Lieutenant Valeris, it's her. We find out she doesn't want peace between the Federation and the Cleons, and there are other people on both sides who don't want it. She's a part of this conspiracy to stop peace from happening, to stop the galaxy from going into the undiscovered country, which, as Chancellor Gorgon says, is the future. They don't want right. a future of peace. Kim Cattrall's Lieutenant Valeris doesn't, and she knows who else is in on this conspiracy. And there's just no time to waste here, because I tell you what, this is like the most badass, angry, pissed-off Spock we've ever gotten. Yes, okay. I Like I said before, I had to have Christian Slater bring me in to this movie, but Spock definitely brings it home here with the standout moment where he does the Vulcan mind meld, and it is badass. I will agree. This is a cool moment. So I know you just want to go all off on it right here, so I'll let you. Well, yeah, everything leading up to it, right? Because this was, and he says, because there's the the main commentary here is obviously like this old aging crew and the the other aging politicians, they're not ready for this new future of peace. They're, they're kind of relics of the past and they're going to have the hardest time moving into the undiscovered country, into the future. Right. So Spock, even Spock, who is all logic, he really is disappointed with himself because his own prejudice led him to believe that only another Vulcan could succeed him, a very accomplished Vulcan, and he doesn't really look at Lieutenant Valeris's character or really investigate to see what she would be about. So I love the anger where she tries to pull her phaser out and he knocks it violently out of her hand. And then she says, I didn't want this. And he says, what you want is irrelevant. What you've chosen is at hand. Dude, Spock, so badass there. Yeah, that's good stuff. 
But then, of course, when he puts his hands on her face and like they start speaking together to reveal like who's behind the plot. And then he wants to know where the peace party is, but she doesn't know where it is. But he keeps like digging into her mind and she just starts convulsing and it gets really intense there where it's kind of like, okay, he's pushing the limits here of the good versus the bad. Like he's he's dipping over into like the dark side in a way. But uh, he pulls back after he realizes like she doesn't know. And yeah, that whole scene is is really thrilling, really, really compelling scene. Very cool. And there are a ton of layers here because you already kind of have the setting of, okay, this is like the older generation whose time has come to an end and maybe their methods aren't the best. And I know the director, Nicholas Meyer, who also did The Wrath of Khan, going back with this scene, he he doesn't feel so great about it now because it reminded him of waterboard, waterboarding. But I mean, the reason that the scene works so well is because it it just feels true for what's going on in the movie and what's going on with the characters and also, like, just to set this up, and what adds layers here, and, you know, Vulcans are kind of weird. Yeah. Maybe you didn't pick up on this, because sometimes one of us will think two characters had chemistry and the other one won't. But early on in the movie, whenever, like, Lieutenant Valeris and Spock are, like, really close and talking and stuff, did you find, like, they, they had some sexual chemistry there, Jordan, even though Leonard Nimoy is really old? They drink from the same cup. I mean, how much more sexual can you get? Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of there, too, just a little bit. And, you know, when he really starts breaking into her mind, I mean, there's definitely, like, I don't, I, I mean, the, people call it the mind rape scene or whatever, but the, her noises definitely start to become a little sexual. I mean, it's a really hmm. weird, complex scene, but the acting from both of them is brilliant, and he does yeah. push too far to where, like, he's he's going to break her mind in half. I mean, he's dismantling her mind, and I love the shots to Scotty and Uhura, both just shocked like i can't believe spock is doing this like this is right. wrong this shouldn't be happening and then he realizes it and stops and it's an intense scene man i remember watching it when i was a kid like this is messed up <laughs> like right this is, right this is really it is surprising. pretty messed up it's <laughs> really yeah, surprising it's... for a star trek scene yeah and that's that's kind of why i loved it it definitely stood out amongst a lot of other dry very expected star trekian things it was like whoa this is interesting. This is cool. Like you said, lots of layers. I mean, she's of the more la- logic side, and we get the sense that uh, Spock has kind of learned through his experiences with humanity and with Kirk to you know, have faith, and he's trying to teach her about faith, and logic is just the beginning of wisdom. So some cool little nuggets there and like nuances to his character, and then you get this, and it's just full-blown kind of insanity <laughs> they have a conversation where she's talking about logic and he like he said he's been through all these experiences where he tells her well no logic is just the beginning of wisdom which is pretty interesting and then yeah. i love even he's still badass after this because i think that after this happens and they're like oh we don't know the location of the summit and then scotty says we're dead and spock says i've been dead before like he just sounds so because he died Jordan, yeah and he had to start yeah to, yeah yeah it's yeah. brought back but it, anyway he was really badass there too. Leonard Nimoy, he helped write the script for this one. It, you know, he's directed previous Star Trek films, not this one, but he did produce and and write. And I think he's great in it. Really, I think everyone's great in it. I I like Shatner. I mean, I I know he has that affectation, but as far as his like actual performances, especially in Star Trek, I mean, I like him as Captain Kirk. You know, yeah, I I dig yeah. the character. 
Avery Brooks and Deep Space Nine is my favorite of the captains, but I, I like all of them. And when I say all of them, I mean the three in the shows that I watched. I like Kirk, right. I like Picard, and I, I just love Cisco from Deep Space Nine. But all that to say, guess what? George Takei is in this. He hates William Shatner so much he won't even like shoot a scene with him. But he has his own ship now, Commander Sulu. So they yes. meet up. He says, "You know what? I know where this. I know where this piece." party is going to be it's at this camp and we got to get there fast here's the coordinates so shatner goes and sulu is behind him and guess who shows up but general chang who jordan did you suspect he would be behind this at all the film doesn't hide it at all thankfully i think it would have been silly for it to be like oh is he really bad you know you, you know pretty early on like general chang's the one that is kind of making all these bad things happen he's the one that doesn't want peace he's a warrior he's a cleon warrior and he just really wants to fight clerk clerk he wants to fight Clerks. kirk clerks <laughs> with captain chen yeah in his his badass prototype cleon ship that can be cloaked that's right invisible and still fire which hasn't been a thing up until this yes his bird of prey it's a really cool ship it's like again like this kind of reminds me in a way of like Nazi Germany, how, thank goodness, they were defeated, they were stopped, that coward Hitler shot himself in his bunker, but then you look and see all the stuff they were developing, and it's like, man, thank God that we beat them, that they ran out of resources, because some of the rockets and crazy technology they were working on would have been really scary if, like, the war continued, right? And you, you find out for the, this kind of metaphorical, allegorical Star Trek world that the Kleons were developing some pretty scary stuff themselves before this happened, because now they have this ship that can be invisible and shoot you and kill you. Chang, he'll be just saying Shakespeare in your ear the whole time as he right. blows your ship up and he won't shut up, which I love that everyone hates him, right? Like, right. he won't stop saying Shakespeare and it's very just annoying. Shut up. Yes. 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 But the movie is self aware about how annoying it is, which I love. Bones is like, I'll yeah. give anything for him to shut up. And <laughs> that was great. Yeah. So I do good. appreciate that. Especially after Skyscraper and so many. Shakespearean <laughs> quotes there. It's just blowing up Chang is cathartic. Yeah. This is the payoff for you, Jordan. It's just for yes. you. And by the way, Sulu's ship, Slayster is on Sulu's ship, and his one scene is where he's talking to Sulu, and Sulu's like, hey, don't tell anyone that we know where Captain Kirk and the Enterprise are, right? Because everyone's yes. looking for him, because Kirk is on the loose. He escaped from prison. So that's Slayster's part. Slayster, can we stop for a minute? again and talk about the Slatester in this scene because now we've set the context now we know what's happening with the Slatester and can you can you back me up here the 30 seconds that Slatester's on the scene here maybe besides the mind meld but the charisma that Slater brings in those moments just the personality has you know you, we don't even know who this guy is but you know who he is just from that just that sly smirk and that attitude he kind of gives Sulu. I mean, best acting in the movie. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I biased? Come on. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's the Slightster, man. You do kind of see him there, and he's talking. He's like, this guy's not a bit player. This is a star. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. You know that, like, he's more than that. And it's like, come on. He should have been. Would he have made a good Captain Kirk? I think so. Take it up with his mom, man. She casted this movie. She, <laughs> she could have yeah. just recasted Kirk and be like, no, nah, my son, my son's the new no, Captain. No, it's going to be my son. Yeah. 
Oh, would can you imagine like old Leonard Nimoy and young Slater like somehow Kirk got devolved into like a young version of himself and it was Slater playing him? I know originally they wanted this to be like the prequel, um, you know, the Academy years or whatever, and so that would have been interesting. Have a Slater like in the you know bad boy Kirk played by Slater in the Academy years, like they do later with uh, Chris Pine uh, reboot. So. Should have done it, man. Would have been a better movie. You had more Slater. We Star Trek fans to that idea said, not no, but hell no. Because, you know, the original crew, they needed to have a fair send-off. It, it couldn't end with the... You know, I, again, I, I actually love Star Trek V, but a lot of people didn't. And a lot of people think of it as a low point, so you couldn't end things that way. You had to give the crew this one final send-off. Okay, do the send-off, but then next, do the Academy Year's... With Slater as Kirk. That's right. Sorry, Chris Pine. It's Slater. So yeah, sorry, Chris Pine, but you don't hold a candle. You know, I, I like Chris Pine, but I gotta agree with you. Ain't nobody the Slater man. I would, That's I right. would have loved to have seen that with Slater. All that to say, General Chang's saying Shakespeare over the comm, being all <laughs> theatrical, blowing up the Enterprise. Then Sulu shows up with his ship as a distraction, and he starts shooting Sulu's ship. And while that's happening. Spock and Uhura have come up with this idea to use some gas stuff. You know, they're investigating gas anomalies, and they realize what we could do that to make a torpedo that's a heat seeker, you know, just like we have now in our primitive current technology. And they, he and Bones, Spock and Bones, go and put this heat seeker on the torpedo, and then they launch it at the Cleon ship. Jordan, okay, even though you're not into this like I am, did you get a little chill there as we cut to Chang on the bridge saying to Shakespeare and then all of a sudden he realizes, damn, I'm about to get blown up as the torpedo makes a beeline toward his ship and then hits him and then both ships start firing in unison on his ship and there's an awesome explosion. What'd you think about that, Jordan? Is that where he says to be or not to be? That's right, Jordan. That's when he <laughs> says it for the second time in the movie. For the, Yes, for the second time. So much Shakespeare. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, definitely wanted to see him get blown up by that point. Maybe because of the Shakespeare. Maybe because of the mustache and the eye patch. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it's also kind of sad, like you said, because he's he's such a, a fun character. And he gets so so animated with his Shakespeare readings and his his animosity towards Kirk and, you know, him being a warrior and everything. He's a fun character, but yeah, it was a, it was a proper villain death there. I will agree that was fun. He's in almost this whole movie because there's not much movie left after he dies. Our crew gets to Earth. They stop the assassination. There's some deleted scenes where the end of this has changed a little bit to who's doing the assassinating. I won't get into all that. All I'll say is in the, the cut of this that you'll usually see, there's a, there's a Cleon with a gun who gets shot by Scotty just in the nick of time. And he goes flying through a window and splats on the ground. We get more Cleon blood. And then William Shatner makes a speech along with Gorkin's hot Cleon daughter, as I thought back in 1991, because I was strangely attracted to Cleon women, Jordan. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know what was up with that. Anna Nicole Smith and Klingons. <laughs> that was Come a weird kink, man. Can you imagine Anna Nicole Smith as a Klingon? Can I, Jordan? <laughs> Yes. Or how many times have I? That's what you should. That's or how many? Should be yeah, after. that's 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 every Star Trek uh, fans you know, fantasy. <laughs> Nicole Smith. 
as the Klingon Empress. I'd like a Romulan and a Nicole Smith, honestly. I'm being completely honest with the hottest race in Star Trek. Romulan women, you know. Would she still have the bright red lipstick and the long bright red fingernails? Well, sort of, Jordan. You you, you work that in as best you can with the Romulan design. Yeah. And the, and the giant boobs. Yes, of, of course. course. That goes without saying, Jordan. Yes. Without yes. saying. But, without but saying. We, can, we can say it anyway. But we can say it again. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big boobs. Yep. Yeah. And that's it. So they save the day. They talk about the undiscovered country, the future, and how great it's going to hopefully be. And then our crew gets on the ship and they're told to bring it in a dry dock. And it's time for all of them to retire. And Spock says, you know, if I was human. Hell right no. Now, I'd say go to hell to them. And Kirk's like, right. oh, yeah. And everyone else in the ship is like, oh, yeah. And Nick is like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Jordan. Because you love Star Trek. That's right. I sure do. And what does he say as the ship goes toward the sun? He says, second star to the right and straight on till morning. Just like Hook, also from 1991. Jordan, oh, you like snap. That? oh, snap. Oh, <laughs> snap. Yeah, I caught the Peter Pan reference, and I thought that was kind of goofy, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, Jordan, that's it. Show's over. Bye, everyone. No, just kidding. I, I, I see what you're saying, but I loved it. I ate it up. It was delicious to me, and I love how the ship kind of dissolves into the sun. Delicious cheese. Yeah, yeah. Like so a good. cheese sandwich. And I, I loved how everyone wrote their name in script. You know, I think the Avengers did you this would. later. They got it from Star Trek Six. Everyone signs their name at the end of the movie. Everyone the but Slater? Come on. It should have just been Christian Slater, the end. <laughs> And the great score by Eidelman comes back on. And that's it. That's it for the original crew. You get a few of them and a lot of Shatner in Generations and the new crew of Star Trek The Next Generation for three more movies in the 90s short and four movies total, two of which I enjoy a lot, two of which I don't really enjoy very much. We're going to cover them at some point in an episode just like this one. I think we're going to bring the same energy, maybe talk another Anne and a Cole movie before we get into oh, Lord. the Star Trek movie. <laughs> Come that's on, it man. jordan i can't do much more of this <laughs> i can't take much more captain yeah that's you right now when those credits started rolling with this the you know you have to wait and sit there while they draw their name in the cursive i'm just like i'm not watching all this <laughs> i'm not that invested to you know this is this whole thing yeah it's just a send off for these characters that you know have been around for 26 years or whatever and you know, there's so many references to the series and nods to, you know, there's a lot of fan service in this film. And obviously I'm not a big fan. So, yeah, I felt like I was I was just kind of sitting there watching someone else's party. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, this is this is obviously not for me. But, you know, it had some fun moments. I won't begrudge the whole thing, but uh, it definitely felt like, OK, I'm coming in at the end here. I'm not really aware of all the lore and all the references and I don't really care to be but you know let let the trekkies have their fun i guess so i'm sure it was a nice send off in 91 for this generation i guess that that's kind of nice jordan what uh what would you give this a 10 out of 10 a 10 out of 10 is that what you give it would, would you give this a solid 10 out of 10 or just like I, i'm on the the fence with giving it a 10 uh this is a 3 out of 5 for me my friend I don't think I would watch this again. I would watch the Vulcan mind meld scene on YouTube, but that's about it. Hey, Star Trek Six, you gave it a six. You know what? That that's about what I thought you would give it, Jordan. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, six, six is all around. I won't begrudge you that. 
too much, but I, I give it an 8 out of 10. I love this movie. I really enjoy almost all of the original crew Star Trek movies. This one I like a lot. 8 out of 10. It's got some goofy stuff. I wish the budget was bigger, but overall, if you're a Star Trek fan, you've already watched this a ton of times, and you probably love it. I know there's a small contingent that doesn't like how dry it is and doesn't like maybe how nasty some of the crew members are about the, the Cleons and thought, well, I thought they'd be more progressive by this point. But I, I don't mind that stuff. I think they did a great job with all the allegory there to real-world stuff that was going on in 1991 and is still going on. I love this movie. I love Star Trek. 8 out of 10, Jordan. 8 out of 10. I mean, what would have got you 10 out of 10? You needed more softcore porn <laughs> no. thrown in there? Some Anna Nicole Romulan sex? <laughs> Drinking that Romulan ale, you get a little crazy. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk having a little fantasy scene, a little flashback to good old days. Honestly, to put this in like the upper echelon for me, yeah, I just needed a bigger budget and c cutting out a little bit of the cheese, you know, like on not having the silly scene with Uhura, not knowing Cleon or Chekhov being like, ruh row, these shoes won't fit on your feet. You got alien feet. <laughs> I mean, I could do without that stuff. But I mean, 10 million more to the budget. And a little bit of, of editing there, even though, you know, I said I, I love those parts when I was a kid. You know, when I was 10, I thought that was hilarious. So maybe those parts are for the kids. What do I know? Anyway. What do you yeah. know? Tell me this. Maybe you know this. If I wasn't super into this, but I've always wanted to kind of go back and check out Wrath of Khan because, you know, I've heard so much about how Khan is such a great villain and everything. And obviously you get nods to Khan and the newer films do you recommend me to go back and watch that film? Jordan, it's kind of tough because I really think Rathacon is, is great. I like it a lot. And I mean, the cinematography is really good. Uh, it, it's like a really layered film visually. It looks good. Some of the special effects don't hold up. Yeah. But you not being a Star Trek fan, I don't know. Because you know Khan is a villain that they brought back from the original series. So that gives him a little more weight. You're not going to have that. Yeah. And you're already aware, I think, of the kind of shock twist that happens at the end. Because, you know, not knowing that was going to happen, that's a very... For me as a kid watching it, that was a very emotional and moving scene. Actually, I don't know if I'm aware of the twist, actually. Okay, well, Jordan, give it, give it a watch. Give it a watch. Give I'd it a say watch. Give it 20 minutes. If you're like, yeah, I'm bored then don't worry about it, man. It's just not for you. But if you watch 20 minutes of it and you're like, you know what, actually, I'm kind of into this. I kind of like Kirstie Alley in this. Too. You know, I'm all for her as a Vulcan and everything else that's going on here. Then keep watching it because I, I think it's pretty great, but I I don't know. It's I can't even imagine approaching any Star Trek stuff not being a Star Trek fan, you know? Right. It's a weird thing. Star Trek's a weird property. I mean, Star Wars has more mass appeal. At the end of the day, Star Wars... I'm not going to say there's not a lot of depth because Star Wars is my favorite thing ever. But, you know, there's Star Trek is trying to do more things than, than Star Wars is. And it's it's just not as cool. It's not going to appeal to as many people. It, it's kind of trying to show, like, maybe this is what a more idealized world without... I, I don't know. I'm not going to get it too far into it. But it's <laughs> not for everyone. It's just not. I get that it's not. I mean, it doesn't have the same impact that it did during the 70s 80s 90s you know now it's it's just there's too many things now i mean star trek was the first thing like this that people were so obsessed with it you know the tv show got canceled and then, then they ended up making a million movies after that even though the show got canceled right like now there are eight trillion shows that are sci-fi shows on all the streaming channels on non-streaming channels i mean it's 
Yeah. It's just a different, much noisier world now. Exploring similar themes, yeah. Jordan, I'm also kind of stalling because I got to tell you, I couldn't find a great connection for these two movies. Uh, oh, no. The two movies being Buffy the Vampire Slayer from our last episode and this movie. I was depending on you, Nick. You could say, like, there's a natural bridge here in that one... <laughs> I already and, uh, gave you my connection. Which was good, you know. Which was the terrible makeup. Yeah, you've got the and makeup. And that was there. more about the TV show, which you kept talking about, wouldn't shut up about. But yeah. So that's not really a connection to the movie. I guess you could say there was some bad makeup. My connection was simply going to be this. With Star Trek, you've got a TV show that was really underappreciated that then led to a lot of movies that were have been very loved and very dissected by a larger, more mass audience. With Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you have The Inverse, a movie that was not really seen by many people, and then a beloved TV show that came after it in reverse order. So mm. what do you, that's my connection there, man. You got a TV show and a movie, but then you have kind of the opposite reactions to the movie, for and better TV or worse. Show. Yeah. I like it. I dig it. That'll work. Connection. Let's go. Trivia battle time. Hold it! Pop quiz, hot shot. Oh yeah, Jordan. Man, I gotta tell you, I'm really psyched about this because there's one character that we didn't really talk about too much except for his goofy part in the movie, Chekhov. And here's the thing. When I was a kid, I had to get my mom to explain this to me. I always said, what's the point of Chekhov? Like, he really, like, has no purpose in being on this show, like, at all. <laughs> like, he's just there. What does he do? She's like, well, you know, they, they brought him in. Kind of tried to get a younger audience because William Shatner wasn't that young when the show came on. But, you know, they thought, like, if we get in this guy that looks like one of the monkeys, then, like, all the teen girls are going to get into Star Trek in the late 60s. And, yeah, it worked. He got so much fan mail and people loved it, but... He just, to me, just never served much of a purpose. And don't get me wrong, I love Walter Koenig, and I, I like Chekhov. But he, Chet, you know, I'm saying it's not like I'm saying Jackoff. I like Jackoff. He's, you know, Jackoff. You Jackoff. What, he has some sort of Russian Jackoff? <laughs> he really does not have, like, much to do in most Star Trek. You're not going to be like, I'm really, I really want to see what they do with Chekhov in this one. You know, I really think he's a key character. Which I think it's funny, and that's one thing I enjoyed about the the JJ reboot. Well, you got Anton Yelchin, yeah. Yeah, I mean. rest in peace. They really did more with his character. I thought, really, really enjoyed him as an actor. Loved him in the Friday Night remake. Obviously, we talked about Green Room before. Loved him in that. Huge yes. bummer there. Only lovers left alive. But all that to say, all of my questions tonight, Jordan, are based on the career of Walter Koenig. I'm screwed. Pavel Chekhov <laughs> himself, Jordan. This is like the biggest asshole list of questions i've ever asked you I'm like sure. i was cackling sure. maniacally when i wrote these because <laughs> you know i know none of them i was thinking about this and i lose so often and and maybe for the to save my soul and for the interest of our listeners going forward should we make a pact i don't know if you would agree to this should we make a pact to only ask each other questions that we ourselves know the answers to and maybe you do that already, but I feel like some stuff you throw at me is so off the wall and weird that it's just like, you know, we're both just looking up weird stuff, <laughs> thinking we can stump each other. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I almost feel like I want a listener poll that. Mm, that might be interesting to see. That's something to revisit. You're right. Now, I was thinking, because I felt like such a goof with these, and I don't. F I feel like the answers that I've provided for these 
kind of make the right answer a little more obvious. But I did think, like, man, I've really got to throw him a bone next episode with the questions. Like, I couldn't pass <laughs> up Walter Koenig questions. But next time, they're all going to have to be, like, who played Han Solo in the original Star Wars movies? Like, they're going to have to be, like, super easy questions to make up for this. Okay. Well, from my side of things, I, again, will bring back the Fred Willard book of Doom, the magnificent movie trivia which I don't know how much of a doom it is because some of these questions are pretty easy and maybe that's why I lose so often because I rely on good old Fred. But he's got a section on extraterrestrials, UFOs, and aliens. So how easy is that? Just give it to me, Fred. What do you got? Are you ready for this? So first question is, in which film does an alien come to Earth seeking a source of water? Is it A, the man who fell to earth b barbarella c predator or d soylent green the man who fell to earth you got it david bowie that's right david bowie baby i remember when i worked at the library i think we had a criterion version of that and i always looked at the case and thought it looked cool but i gotta admit i never watched it i just i never did it i haven't seen that movie i've watched it once at my old girlfriend's apartment and it was like on in the background but nobody was into it because it was super weird but i was trying to pay attention but nobody else was that kind of situation so definitely need to revisit it one day because I really love David Bowie uh, as a musician, you know, not a, not a huge fan of him as a musician. I mean, I, I appreciate it, but I just really haven't taken the time to dive deep into his work, but I really like him when I see him on screen as an actor. I, I think he has a really, really interesting presence. So definitely need to check that out. One of these days, go back and revisit. I don't know if you would agree with me with this, but maybe to betray our MTV generation roots, would you say that your favorite David Bowie song is Nirvana's interpretation of the man who sold the world because it's mine. Yeah, I would I would have to be there with you on that. <laughs> that's that's totally my favorite David Bowie song. I'm sure that's blasphemy to people who are older than us, but yeah, his version's yeah. good too. But hey, I, I love the Nirvana one. I mean, I, I that was the first version I heard. So it's yeah. it's either that or all the David Bowie songs by Sue George for the Life Aquatic <laughs> soundtrack. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll second that. Yep, yeah, it's one of those two. Hey, speaking of one of those two, hey, one of these four that I'm about to offer is the correct answer to this question. I thought you would really appreciate this one, so get ready. Which of these three exclamation points ending films did Walter Koenig star in with Snoop Dogg? Jordan, Walter Koenig Whoa. is in a film with Snoop Dogg. Are you ready for this? Is it Bones? <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, right? No, Unfortunately, he's not in Bones. And this is a movie from last year, Jordan. But oh, which one? Snap. And it ends with three exclamation points. Are you ready for the okay. options? Yeah. Is it amazing, unbelievable, incredible, or I'm so high? <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Snoop Dogg. My immediate instinct is to say i'm so high is it i'm so high <laughs> that's a great guess and i made up all these answers but the correct uh, answer oh, no. the correct answer is unbelievable ah uh, <laughs> there's gotta be a movie with snoop dogg called i'm so high with three exclamation points come on 
There has to be. It, there, there has Maybe to be. Maybe it one. doesn't have Walter Koenig in it, though. Yes. And see, this question would be disqualified with the new rules we talked about if we were to do that. Because I never. This is a Star Trek spoof from last year that Snoop Dogg and Walter Koenig and a bunch of Star Trek people are in. But I've, mm-hmm. ne- I've never even heard of it. I don't know. Might have to turn in my Star Trek card on that or maybe a lot of other star trek fans didn't know about this movie but anyway yep unbelievable jordan unbelievable what's your next question all right it's probably some more easy stuff for you here which character is from 2005's hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is it a coco crisp b bella oymix c stuma bojalista or d zafod bibelbrox oh man (laughs) jordan you're cracking me up here. I'm a huge nerd, man. I read all those damn books. I know. Starting I know. in high school. Obviously, Zaphod Beeblebrook is the I real know. character there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just fun to say all those goofy names. <laughs> but I knew you would know that. Yeah, man. And I'm not like, uh, I don't know. I wasn't like a huge fan of the Sam Rockwell version in the movie, but I love him in the books, man. He's just someone who's always gets in these positions of power and is just talking out of his ass. He's great. Love him. Um <laughs> Well, hey, look, I get in this thing right now, Jordan. Let me let me pick which one of these Walter Koenig questions I want to ask. How about this one? In which 2009 film did Koenig appear? Was it Scream of the Bikini, Dream of the Bikini, Queen of the Bikini, or Fiend in a Bikini? Was it Dream of the Bikini? Oh, I'm sorry. That's wrong, Jordan. It was Scream of the Bikini. Scream of the Bikini. Wow, what is, what is this movie about? Yet again, another movie that I had never heard of until I looked at Walter Koenig's Wikipedia page. I have <laughs> of no course idea, not. Jordan. This is why we should only ask ourselves plausible questions <laughs> that don't have to be guessed. If you don't know the answer until Wikipedia tells you. This entire trivia battle is just proving your point. Exactly. Oh, so. I'm swaying me to your side somehow. Uh, so I, I lose, right? So uh, unless you want me to ask you one more question for fun. You do lose because I have an awesome punishment to go along with my next movie. I think it's going to be great synchronicity. But just for fun, what was your question? Okay, well, our Fred's last question for you is, where are the alien pods stored in Ron Howard's 1985 movie, Cocoon? In a swimming it- pool. Ah, there you go. You, you, see, you don't even need the multiple choice, you bastard. <laughs> I've watched all these damn movies, man. See, that's the, no. the thing, right? Like, you wouldn't be able to ask me that question if you didn't know the answer, but I do know the answer. So you get in a difficult territory where maybe, like, the rules should just be, and it'll apply to me 95% of the time and you only maybe 5%, which is don't ask asshole questions. <laughs> yeah, you, you need that rule for yourself, huh? <laughs> I couldn't resist the Walter Koenig ones, man, because I needed to give him a purpose. I was tired of Chekhov and having no purpose. But, oh, you know, then I thought, I what see. if his purpose was just that I asked Jordan the stupidest questions no one would ever know that are real? <laughs> These movies are real. They really were shot and filmed. And I'm going to assume someone saw them somewhere. This is Chekhov's comeuppance. He gets <laughs> yes. to stump Jordan on trivia battle. Yes. Well, it appears that I have lost the trivia battle. <laughs> What is my punishment, Nicholas? I'm really psyched because Christmas is coming up and I really wanted to cover a Christmas movie for Christmas that's really weirdly dear to my heart. And it's rare that we cover movies this big, but I did do it last year for Titanic. And this isn't 
as big as Titanic for the whole world, but it's way damn bigger than Titanic for me. It's 1992's Batman Returns, Jordan. Oh, yes. You know, I was at this weird puberty point. It gave me some weird feelings for multiple reasons. Uh, this It's a weird movie, man. Batman Returns is a huge blockbuster movie that's just like one man's really weird passion project. I watched it again like seven years ago, and that's the last time I watched it. And even watching it then, I was like, man, like what messed up areas of my psychology are just due to Batman Returns, Jordan? <laughs> Probably all of them. <laughs> Probably all of them. Oh, and so your punishment. That'll go along with that. And, you know, I might watch it with you because I've always kind of wanted to watch this movie, but I've never done it. You know, Marvel is riding high right now. DC is not doing as well as Marvel. There's a time where DC was the only movie game in town, and Marvel was just kind of a joke. And <laughs> in 1990, Captain America... Oh, no. He, he's a big deal now. Oh, no. But back then... You know, I thought Don't Captain America was lame as hell, man. I thought a lot of those Marvel characters were lame. Because, you know, as big a nerd as I am, I can't pretend like I'm, like, a huge comic fan. Of as far as superhero comics go, I have read, like, a lot of comics, but not necessarily Marvel ones. Captain America, 1990. Jordan, 1990s Captain America. I've, I've heard this is so bad. I've heard my it's soul. terrible. <laughs> my soul. My poor soul. <laughs> I'm just crushed, man. Under the weight, <laughs> this punishment—it's too much. Film shake. We're it's this. Is, we're done. This show's over, guys. I quit. Well, Jordan, look. Let me see if this gives you any encouragement. The director. Do you remember the movie that we watched called Nemesis, Jordan? Way back yes. in the day. Do you remember the that? One that I I gave a two out of five that I hated. Yeah. Did he yeah, direct man. this too? Albert Pune, man. Well. I don't know how that's supposed to encourage me, Nick. Any listeners that have stuck it out through this Star Trek-based episode of us babbling inanely to this point, watch both these movies with us. Watch 1990s Captain America with us and watch Batman Returns. I mean, Batman Returns is so entertaining, whether you you like it or you just think it's weird as hell. That's an entertaining movie. And Captain America, I feel like it's going to be pretty... Look, can you say that at least with Nemesis, you were entertained, right? Even though you okay. thought it was terrible. Let me tell right? you this. I've seen clips of this Captain America. I've watched the Giannis trailer that makes fun of this Captain America. I feel like I know everything I need to know about this Captain America. Let's just, let's just move on. Let's just move past it <laughs> to Batman Returns. It's you know we need to devote the whole episode to Batman Returns. Really, that's 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 what I'm thinking. And for you telling all the listeners to go watch both of these movies, I feel like. That that's poor advice because, like I said, film shake. It's over. Don't do it. We quit. <laughs> there's not going to be another episode. We're done. <laughs> this is I feel it. like this will be like Alone in the Dark, where you watch ten minutes and you're like, uh, forget this. Nick will probably watch it, and I am going to watch it, Jordan. I'm, I'm okay. and then I'll be recapping your punishment movie to you. <laughs> okay. At least there's that. We, we yeah. got to ensure that somebody watches this. <laughs> so you got so that we can talk about to. it. Well, at least there might be some camaraderie there then. I know you're in it with me. That's right. I appreciate no. that. Come down into the sewer with me. It looks like it was filmed in a sewer, if you've seen <laughs> screenshots of this movie. So, incredible. No, it looks like it was filmed in someone's backyard, honestly. <laughs> so, next episode, it's a superhero extravaganza on Film Shake with 1992's Batman Returns and 1990's Captain America. Can't wait, Jordan. I am psyched.
Let's keep the genre films going, man. We're going from Star Trek to Batman. Can't hardly wait. That's right. <laughs> so thank you, Nick, for that. Looking forward to it. Everybody, thank you for listening. If you want to send us some feedback, please shoot us an email at filmshakepodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you guys so much. If you want to help support the show, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash filmshake. We put out bonus content, an extra episode every month there so you can get more of our rambling, babbling talk, and you have to pay for it too. <laughs> so it's good stuff though. <laughs> if you like this show, check it out. Uh, it's fun times, but we appreciate you guys. We'll catch you next time for more Film Shake. Take it easy. Glover and, and Die Hard, but anyway, I'm not Die Hard. For oh shit. Lord, good Lord, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, yeah. Sky, skyscraper, maybe forget Die Hard exists, Jordan. <laughs> it's the new Die Hard. It replaces <laughs> Die Hard. Exactly. There's no more Die Hard. Die Hard's done. It's, it's all just Anna Danny Nicole. Glover and Anna Nicole. Yeah, that's um, right.